there, Zoe? Why the long face there, chum? I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive. Too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com, you can order any magic cards, and anything over $2 or more has free shipping. Wow, free shipping at LegitMTG.com. That's amazing. You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on magic singles and magic sealed product available. Wow, that's amazing! Man, I wish there were others who liked retro video games like me. Did I hear someone say retro video games? I heard it too, Matt! Well, if you're a fan of retro video games as well as gaming in general, you need to listen to the VCR Gaming Podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Oh god, my house! Hey everybody, and welcome to another live episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and today we are doing the 2017 year-end special, which I normally do at the end of the year, but due to pomp and circumstance, it's now coming at the end of January instead. So, actually, by the time you hear the audio, it's going to be, what, the first or second day? It's going to be the second day of February, if you're listening in audio land. So, anyways, let's just get right to it because we've got a lot to talk about. We are going to be talking about the top movies of 2017, the top video games of 2017, the top Magic the Gathering sets of 2017, the top standard decks of 2017, and the top MT and the top Magic cards of wait for it 2017. And then at the end of it, I'm going to be talking about my hopes for 2018 in regards to Magic the Gathering. So, um, I guess I'd like to start off a little bit first, I mean, really talking about, uh, I guess, some sad news before I get into this, and just found out yesterday, last night actually, as of this recording, that my LGS is closing down tomorrow, Wednesday, the last day of January, which really sucks. I mean, the best thing about that LGS was it was literally right down the street for me. Um, I did meet a lot of cool people, a lot of good buddies. And, you know, th there were times where the store definitely took a downturn, went down on a slump due to certain people owning the establishment. And then it started to pick back up again. And it just... You know, I was actually hoping for, hey, you know, maybe it's going to turn around. And that was not happening. It was not turning around. And that that's just the part that really kind of got to me that just really sucks. Um, and it it's it's really sad because I've never really experienced an LGS closing down. Um, I've talked about before where I didn't even really have a... Um, LGS growing up. So this is the first time getting to experience the closing. Um, even though there have been some game stores in my area, 
that I, I haven't really attended them or anything like that. I never really had that special bond with them. There is another game store that I really, really, really love, but it's about a 30 to 45 minute drive from me. And it's, while I won't mind going there, you know, every Friday and all that, it's just, um, you know, it sucks, you know, the, I mean, what, what I think what I'm really sad about the most, and it's not that I don't have a place to go for FNM. I think I'm sad the most about losing Dungeons and Dragons more than anything, because that I was really trying to set and start a D&D scene there to eventually maybe try to get Adventure League going, which is D&D's version of FNM and I think that's probably the thing that sucks the most. Even though I can still play with the guys and everything, it was just a really nice and easy place to meet up. And now we don't really have that. I mean, there is a brand new game store that did open in my area, which isn't too far. I haven't been there yet. Uh, they they do they do play Magic there. They are official WPN now, which I think they just recently got. And they do a lot of video game stuff there as well, too, which I am going to check it out. And hell, maybe, maybe like put them on the podcast interview to, you know, you know, get some more recognition or whatever for my two listeners. And whenever they come over here in Florida, they can go check it out. But, um, it's, I don't know. It just sucks. I, I don't think there's many other emotions to really talk about with it, except that it just sucks. And it's tomorrow's the last day, and I'm going to be going over there tomorrow. I mean, maybe just spend some money, just buy something, you know. I don't know. I don't know what. But um, I digress. It's it's a little bit sad news. Usually, I talk about what I've done in Magic lately, and I haven't played um anything really. I played some Popper online, but that's about it. I don't really want to get into that. But let's really get into the meat of the episode tonight, and that is top the 2017 year-end special and we're going to be talking about my top movies of 2017 and some of these may be surprising i'm gonna i'll try not to talk at length about them all too much because i do seem to ramble on a lot as a lot of you know and so let's just get right into it dive right into it let's get her done all right um Coming in at number 10 for top movies of 2017 is Thor Ragnarok. And it comes that low. And I I will admit, I have not seen, I did not watch a lot of movies this year um, compared to what I normally do. Because I do like to try to keep up with, you know, not only the really popular blockbusters that come out every year, but also, you know, some of the one-offs, some of the quote-unquote indie or artsy films or the films that aren't as big as budget as you know these marvel movies are so thor ragnarok came in at number 10 um i was super pumped about this movie um and i think that's why it ranked so low because i was super hyped for it because i love thor and while it was a really funny movie it was just here i'm gonna move my mic a little bit here it was just um one it was yeah i'm just okay one i mean it was funny but i feel like they did such a turn and twist on thor's character that 
yeah, they. I know they're trying to get away from Thor being a super ultra serious character like he was in the comics. And I felt like they were doing that in the previous two movies and in the Avengers. But I feel like they took the comedy a little bit too far in Thor Ragnarok. And it just felt... There was a lot of times where it felt very off-putting and it felt like this isn't the Thor from the other movies. And while it was enjoyable, I will say the main villain of the movie... Uh, whenever her scenes were being shown, dear God, it was boring. I, I there's, and I, I I mean when I say this that I almost fell asleep in the theater. That's the honest truth. I almost fell asleep in the theater during this movie, especially when any part came on with the villain. Um, and not that she was acting terribly, or it's just that she wasn't an interesting villain. And the scenes were just very bland and felt like dragging on. I felt like they could have really sped up this movie if they had just gotten rid of her scenes or, or at least some or at least most of them, at least. And and it was and I know this is it's so easy to pick on Marvel movies because they're all they're all so cliche and you know exactly what's going to happen in it but this movie was definitely one of those oh you know exactly what's going to happen in this movie um there was really no surprises at all with it and that's why it ranks solo so moving on to number nine um comes in number nine is spider-man homecoming um i have always been a huge spider-man fan uh growing up when i was a kid with the animated series the comics and then when the Sam Raimi movies came out, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, Tobey Maguire, those were like the comic book movies that I loved for so long. Um, that and Batman, the Tim Burton Batmans. And so The Amazing Spider-Man, I couldn't even, I never even finished watching the first Amazing Spider-Man. I hated it. And I didn't even bother watching Amazing Spider-Man 2 at all. I have no interest in ever seeing it. And probably never will. Maybe one day when I'm drunk or something. And so Spider-Man Homecoming was, it was, it was a good, enjoyable movie. Um, definitely follows like the same Marvel formula, but I, I guess I rank it a little bit higher than Thor, even though I did get bored during the movie. I didn't almost fall asleep though, but I was definitely starting to get bored during it was that the, the whole little, um, um, reveal with, um, fuck why am I the the vulture and Peter Parker that whole reveal there like I honestly did not see it coming at all and it was a nice little reveal there so um pretty much as I said before with Thor it, it, the the villain I was way I was more interested in the villain in Spider-Man than actual Peter Parker in this one and I, I could have just watched the whole movie about him and but like I said it falls into the same trap of you know, Marvel movie being a Marvel cliche and you kind of know what's going to happen. At, at least the big, the good thing about this movie was the stakes weren't so high. The stakes weren't, oh my gosh, the world is going to end type ordeal. It was a very small movie in terms of, oh, he's just stealing weapons and we got to stop him, which it was a nice change of pace for once. It's not one of those universe ending movies. Um, so moving right along. Coming in at number eight is Star Wars The Last Jedi. And I don't know if I've talked about it before on Magic with Zuby exactly, but I have talked about it at length with um, John Dunning from They Said We Said on his YouTube channel where um, 
we talked at length about Star Wars The Last Jedi, and basically, I rank this pretty low in terms of the whole Star Wars scale. Um, and it has nothing to do with Luke Skywalker, Ray, or um, Kylo Ren. A lot of it has to do with everything else. Everything that's not related to the Luke, Ray, and Kylo plot. Everything else was just terrible. It was boring. Um, very, very um, gag-inducing. Whereas extremely cheesy uh, dialogue. Like with Poe Dameron's, we are the light of the flame of the hope that burns the hope of the flame of the galaxy, some bullshit. And I basically just wanted to just, you know, be like, okay, cool. I, I, I kind of want to kill myself now. Um, and it was just, yeah. I mean, what, what more can be said about Last Jedi except that it was just not very good. It subverted our expectations. Um, and, and not in a good way. The movie was too long. I could have really done without, you know, the majority of, especially the casino scene, dear God, the casino scene and Rose, probably one of the worst written star Wars characters that we've seen yet. And I, I don't know. I almost have to, I gotta be a prequel apologist where I kind of enjoy Jar Jar a little bit more than Rose right now. Hopefully Rose can redeem herself. I didn't have a problem with the actress. She did fine. She was just put... I mean, it's very much like um, Jake Lloyd in Phantom Menace, where even he he was just given a lot of bad lines and bad dialogue. This is what happened with Rose. She was given a lot of bad lines and dialogue, and it was just bad altogether. But anyways, I'm going to just move on. Number seven, the Lego Batman movie. Um, so if you know anything about me, I love Batman. Like I love it a little bit too much. Um, uh, I can't, uh, I don't have my wallet near me cause my wallet is Batman and, um, grew up loving Batman. And, and yes, I even like Batman V Superman. All right. Um, it's definitely not the best Batman movie, but me being a Batman hard, core Batman lover. I loved it. So, but Lego Batman movie was surprisingly, holy shit, extremely funny, extremely fun. And even though it was, it's a marketed towards kids movies, uh, my kids and I, we loved it. Uh, we didn't get to see it in theaters, but we did see it as soon as it came out on Blu-ray. And I think we rented it or bought it or something. And it was... I don't know. I just loved it. I've seen it probably three or four times now and it just doesn't get old. Um, love it. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Uh, coming in at number six and you notice these are a lot of like superhero movies. It's pretty much all I saw this year. Um, coming in at number six is Logan. Uh, Logan would have been a lot higher on my list, but I feel like what brought it lower was one, the length it definitely seemed to drag on um, to the villain, which was basically himself, X-23 or something. I can't remember. And it was just a very boring villain. I would have enjoyed it more if they had just stuck with um, the guy from Narcos. I can't remember his name. So um, Hugh Jackman did fantastic as Logan in it. Um, Patrick Stewart, fantastic. Overall, it was a good movie, a really good movie. Just the length length of it sort of brought it down, and the um the villain I didn't really give two craps about it. But anyway, moving on. 
Um, like I said, I can just ramble on and on about these movies, and we want to get to the good stuff like magic and video games. Well, video games and magic, all right? Um, number five, Bright. And what I find crazy about this was... So the critics completely destroyed the movie Bright. Bright is a Netflix movie that came out last month, and it has Will Smith, and it's about um, you know, him and orcs. It's like Lord, if Lord of the Rings was modern, or if Lord of the Rings actually happened and happened in modern, you know, and now orcs and elves are in modern times and all that. Uh, Bright was a very fun movie from start to finish. Yes, there were some definitely some cliche moments of it. I, I enjoyed this movie way more than Star Wars, um, and the critics destroyed this movie in reviews, and so I really went in with this low expectations because, uh, let's admit it, Suicide Squad was crap. All right. The the flashbacks in Suicide Squad were more interesting than the actual movie. So I was really thinking, oh, great, Bright is going to be terrible. And I actually came out liking it a lot more than I thought I would, and I'm super excited about uh the sequel to Bright, you know, I, I, I do agree with a lot of the people saying that this would be a much better setting for a TV series, you know, similar to Daredevil or Punisher or whatever. Um, I definitely agree with that, but what we got, I do not mind. And I enjoyed it a lot. So moving on to number four, we got justice league at number four. And I, <laughs> I knew going in that justice league was going to be bad, but I guess I'm such I'm such a freaking nerd for Batman and I even love Superman, all right? And Wonder Woman, I still have not seen the Wonder Woman movie, so it doesn't make my list here at all spoilers. But um I really really enjoyed the Justice League movie. It was pretty much like watching a Saturday morning cartoon and it just really brought back those fun memories of watching cartoons as a kid. It was completely dumb. And stupid, but I enjoyed every freaking second of it. I don't care. I cannot wait. And I really thought okay, they managed to take a character like Aquaman, who let's admit here, especially growing up, Aquaman. No one fucking liked Aquaman at all. He was like the worst nerdiest character ever in the comics in the series. Like no one gave two shits about Aquaman. Just like as I was saying before on John Dunning's show, they said we said. Um, no one gave a crap about Iron Man. And so before the Iron Man movies came out, uh, Iron Man was completely laughable. And um, so when they showed Aquaman and how Aquaman was um, pretty badass, you know, Call Drogo, it just made me love that movie even more. I, I enjoyed them all, even Cyborg. Cyborg writing characterization was pretty bad i mean they didn't really explain much about him but i i still enjoyed the hell out of him anyway um i'm definitely excited about you know separate movies aquaman cyborg flash all that um moving on to number three we've got power rangers now this one came as a surprise to me because i did not watch the power rangers movie until a few days before christmas because i was really wanting to i don't know watch something and I came into this with extremely low expectations, thinking, you know, oh, great, this is going to be terrible because how could a Power Rangers movie be good? I mean, I remember Power Rangers as a show growing up as a kid, and I, I loved it. It was cheesy, but I try to go back and watch Power Rangers now as an adult, and I'm just like, oh, this is bad. It's really bad. 
Um, so I was thinking the movie was going to be just as bad, but surprisingly, there was more characterization in Power Rangers than there was in a lot of these other movies that I've listed here. And it was more enjoyable than I thought. I, I know it was your standard origin story with it, but I kind of didn't mind it because the not that they felt completely believable, but they, I, I don't know, it, it was just fun. It was more enthralling and and it sucked me in more than I thought it would. And when they finally transform into the actual Power Rangers, it was, holy shit, this is actually fucking hilarious and awesome. It felt like you were watching the old 90s show. So, got, got to give it to Power Rangers. It's number three on my list. So, what makes number two? And this this one came really close to being number one, but my number one is number one for a reason. And so... Number two on the list is The Disaster Artist. And I must preface by saying that I've seen... And I only watched The Room because The Disaster Artist was coming out. I'm, I remember when The Room came out, um, you know, touted as the worst movie of all time. And for a long time, it was this long-running meme and joke of, you know, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. And like, oh, hi, Mark. You know, for the longest time. But I never, I never saw the movie because I've seen those scenes so many times throughout the years. But when I finally sat down and watched The Room, it was more of a um, wonderment of not really how did this get made in terms of like what the fuck was Tommy Wiseau thinking? And Disaster Artist sort of gives us that insight into what the fuck Tommy Wiseau was thinking. And and Tommy Wiseau was played brilliantly by James Franco. I honestly forgot that James Franco was playing Tommy Wiseau. There was honestly time, not that James Franco looks like Tommy Wiseau. He, you can definitely tell he doesn't, but he gets so deep into the role that you forget it is James Franco. And, um, when I saw this movie, I was sucked into it and loved every second of it. And it was, it was really, really enjoyable. And I, I mentioned this on the VCR gaming podcast last time is one of the best things about the disaster artist and i'll mention it here again is towards the end of the movie I, spoiler alert i guess is they when tommy finally showcases the room to an audience uh, you know it's his you know movie premiere uh everybody starts laughing at it making fun of it and he just storms out and he's really sad and mad like oh you know they're making fun of me you know i i worked so hard for this and they make fun of me oh hi mark um and it as a content creator, you sort of you, you really feel for him on that because while doing a podcast doesn't compare and even doing YouTube videos doesn't compare to the monumental task and work and energy that's put into a movie. Um, you do sort of understand in a sense that when you're creating content, you want people to like it. When you're creating YouTube videos, you want people to like it. You know, and when you see someone making fun of it or hate it, you know, as much as people can tell you, hey, you got to have thick skin, eventually it's going to get to you. Can put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine you making a video or something like you're you're a content creator? It doesn't matter what you're creating content for. You showcase it in a theater and there's, you know almost a thousand people watching it and they're all laughing at it, making fun of it, saying it's the worst thing in the world. You know, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel like shit pretty much 
most likely unless you have incredibly thick skin you don't give a shit i mean i know i'd be like oh fuck <laughs> uh let me just go to the car and just say fuck it um what is going on am i not streaming anymore hold on are we having some technical difficulties hold on i do apologize for audio audiences here i think it just went offline for a second maybe not um Okay, no, it's still showing that I'm live, so I don't know. That's weird. Uh, maybe Twitch is glitching out or something. It's still showing I'm streaming, but um, anyways, sorry about that. It's, you know, you, you sort of really feel Tommy's pain in that part, and that that's not the only reason why I love that movie so much. It's just the whole thing is just good from start to finish. It sucks you in. Um, so that goes to number one in top movies of 2017 for me and that's beauty and the beast yes beauty and the beast and i say that with pride because i i will say when i was a kid growing up watching the beauty and the beast cartoon i liked it i never really cared for it too much um because that came out around the same time as like aladdin lion king um hercules and all that and those were definitely more my type of movies um I, I remember liking Beauty and the Beast when I saw it in theaters as a kid, but I never really cared for it. Um, so when the new live action movie came out, you know, I, I was thinking like, yeah, it's going to be okay. You know, <laughs> okay. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love a good musical. Um, I love musicals, period. And I was really blown away by this movie. It puts the cartoon to shame. Um, a lot of people were complaining about Emma Watson's Emmy. Emma Watson's singing. Yeah, you can tell it's a bit auto-tuned in, in a lot of parts, and it's not the greatest, but overall, I mean, the actor who played the Beast, I'm forgetting, Dan Stevens, I think, he blew it away, especially with his voice, his singing voice. It just blew me away. Um, the whole movie, just fantastic from start to beginning. Um, I've seen it so many times now. My kids love it, um, and it's just overall a really good movie, and... Is this coming from someone who wasn't a Beauty and the Beast fan at first to begin with, and now it's just completely hooked me in, and I want more, and I'm gonna get more. Well, no, actually, no, 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 no. just just have them leave it at this. Don't don't do any sequels to this. Just leave it at that. So that is the top movies of 2017 for me. Just to reiterate, recap real quick, it's starting from ten all the way up to one. Thor Ragnarok. Spider-Man Homecoming, Star Wars Last Jedi, The Lego Batman Movie, Logan, Bright, Justice League, Power Rangers, Disaster Artist, and Beauty and the Beast. So let's move on to the top video games of 2017. Uh, let's get in some water in there real quick. So I've only got seven uh, top video games of this year, but I did do a little honorable mention, and even though it's technically not really a video game, but... It did have a lot of video games on it. I'm giving an honorable mention to the NES, or not NES, the Super Nintendo Classic. And I only say that, I mean, none of the games are new per se, but it was, it, 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 it has its little spot on the list. It's a little honorable mention here. Um, coming in at number seven is Cuphead. Cuphead is a um, sort of run and gun boss shooting game that's out on Xbox and PC. Um, really fun, really hard, really tough, but overall the animation is probably what makes it 
you know you know puts it up there uh more than anything if this just had your average you know kind of video game graphics that we see nowadays it probably wouldn't be as popular as it is now um if you haven't played the game you know most people who follow video games they know this game by now but it's definitely worth a shot a lot of fun and um just worth checking out um like i said yeah it's on xbox pc just try it out it's it's worth it um i haven't beaten the game i've gotten really close i'm on the third world and i think i'm on i'm two or three bosses in i don't remember exactly how far it's been a while since i played it but i'll beat it one day maybe maybe i'll stream it so you can see how terrible i am yeah probably um coming in at number six and this may surprise some people is star wars battlefront 2 yes I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding this game in terms of its microtransactions and loot boxes and the way it was handling its online. Um, I've only played a little bit of the online, but I really, really enjoyed the single player campaign. Um, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, some of my favorite parts of this game were the the X-Wing slash TIE Fighter um, air battles or space battles it i mean the whole game could have just been rogue squadron style and i would have enjoyed it even more um while the online portion is very similar to battlefront one that came out a couple years ago i mean they did make some improvements to it it's also similar to battlefield um it's it's not that it's bad it's definitely if you're into it and you want to do the online i recommend getting a buddy for it um I'm not too into the online, but definitely into the campaign, though. Campaign was tons of fun, and I I really need to go back and try the new campaign missions they came out with after The Last Jedi came out. So, um, if, at least that type of game is probably worth waiting for it to go on sale, even though there hasn't been a lot of sales for it, and um, because I think it's worth it just for the campaign, the single-player campaign. Uh, coming in at number five, even though this is, I don't know if this is really cheating, because it's kind of similar to the Super Nintendo Classic, it's Mega Man Legacy Collection 2, and I am a huge Mega Man fan. Um, I got the Mega Man Legacy Collection either earlier this year or last year, I don't remember, and I beat the hell out of all six Mega Mans there. I didn't do any of the challenges, because I don't really care about that. Because in the games, they give you, like, these challenges where, oh, you know, beat Dr. Wily with no weapons or, you know, beat this stage in, you know, two minutes and all that. I usually don't care about any of that stuff. I just like playing the games and beating them, which I beat them. So I was super pumped for Legacy Collection 2 to come out. And that comes with Mega Man 7, 8, 9, and 10. And it was, I feel like, even though it's just sort of a collection game, I feel like the first collection was better in terms of some of the and some of the challenges and some of the um I don't know UI options they had but it's still definitely worth picking up if you're a Mega Man fan if you have a Nintendo Switch they are coming out with Mega Man Legacy 1 and 2 or Legacy Collection 1 and 2 for the Switch hopefully this year because with the announcement of Mega Man 11 they did mention they're going to re-release you know all the other ones for the Switch as well so moving right along to number 4 that's Wolfenstein 2. And so I only recently just played Wolfenstein 1 and 2 last year. And I loved Wolfenstein 1. It was a lot of fun. Um, just 
killing Nazis and the gameplay was awesome and it was the right amount of difficulty. And I talk about it a lot in um, the previous VCR gaming episode. But Wolfenstein 2, while I did not like the story as much, the gameplay was way better. And just in terms of graphics for it too, even though I was playing it on my PS4 Pro, by the way, um, it was just... I don't know. The, the story didn't capture me as much and it, 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 it was a fun game. I'll just say that it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and it's, I don't know. I, I, that's all I really got to say about it. It's a fun game. Just try it out. Um, I'm guess I'm not really good at reviewing video games here or going over top lists, but anyways, coming in at number three is horizon dawn zero that is that is the right one right horizon dawn zero i'm saying it right oh no it's horizon zero dawn whoops i completely wrote that down wrong oh i'm so good at this um so horizon zero dawn right horizon zero okay yeah because butler from vcr gaming completely makes fun of me for that because i was calling it horizon dawn zero for the longest time and I wrote down, yeah, I wrote it down, Horizon Dawn Zero. So, Horizon Zero Dawn is an open world type game where you're sort of playing this kind of futuristic, I, I guess for lack of better words, a futuristic cave woman. Um, it's sort of like, it's, you can definitely tell this is set in Earth's future, but it's it's sort of prehistoric in terms of technology, even though the technology is... There is futuristic technology, but since they kind of live like tribe, tribal, like nomadic tribes, um, and there's like robot dinosaurs going around, I don't know, it's, it's fucking weird, but it, it's a really good game. It's really fun. Um, I will say that it, it is kind of reminiscent of Far Cry and Assassin's Creed, those kind of open world games where you, the, the map starts to open up, you can unlock viewpoints. Um, and start doing some other quests, side quests, gathering quests, that sort of stuff. Um, but the one thing that I really like about this game compared to the other, um, oh, damn it, I hit the mic. The other um, open world games out there is the story is what has really captured me through it. I have not beaten the game yet, but the story of Alloy is just a lot more interesting than a lot of the Assassin's Creeds or far cry games out there right now so definitely worth the shot to pick it you know if you have a ps4 definitely pick it up definitely worth it um but moving right along to number two and if you have a nintendo switch you've probably played this game by now and that's super mario odyssey and um i, I don't know i i just replayed it again for the second time like just started from the beginning and beat it again and I really got to say, I think this is probably my favorite Mario game since Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, um, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot. But I, I actually, no, I think I'm liking this more than Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 because it's just, it's it's fun. It, and the movement of it feels so good. The mo movement is so fluid with it. And there's also, and there, there are complaints where, um, you know, oh, the moons are too easy to find, but there are definitely some moons where I've honestly had to look up a guide, like where the fuck are these things? <laughs> or, you know, and some of the, with the purple coins too, where it's just, where the hell are they? But it's, it's a lot of fun. If you have a switch, 
this 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 is a must buy for the switch and what else is there to say it's a mario game of course it's going to be fun of course it's going to be good when was when was the last time there was a bad mario game okay not okay not talking about the spin-offs or whatever or the or the the non-platform rpg games so just just let me know when there was a bad mario game okay mario's time machine yeah that was pretty bad mario is missing it was enjoyable when i was a kid so um uh, going on to number one here, and this should come as no surprise to anyone who knows me, that's The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And while I don't consider it uh, to be, uh, it doesn't even, it wouldn't even make my top five Zelda games that I've ever played. It's definitely, it, it is the best game that I played last year for sure. It was a, a, breath of fresh air for a Zelda game with it being open world and you know they 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 do a really good job of making you feel alone in this world as well too and the lack of music that they have and then the little bit of music they do have is just really good I mean I really gotta say probably my favorite part of the whole game was the trek to get to Ganon at Hyrule Castle that was a lot of fun there was some parts where it was just tough as hell but it was a lot of fun and it felt very worth it when you got to the top of that castle and fought Ganon but then when you fought Ganon you're just sort of like mm, that's it mm, like that, that that was definitely disappointing but the game as a whole um if you have a switch or even a Wii U this this is a must buy it's a really good Zelda game I'm I'll be honest here. I'm honestly hoping that we don't see another open world Zelda game like this. I want them to sort of go back to the old formula. This was a nice like little side quest, side venture for it. And they did a very good job. But I don't want to see more of this kind of Zelda. I miss the, the regular you know dungeons that may take two to three hours. I, I was not a fan... After a while, I was not a fan of doing shrines that, you know, maybe take me 10, 15 minutes to figure out. It's like I like those long, sprawling dungeons that Zelda is famous for. But that's not to say this was a bad game. It was, like I said, a breath of fresh air. I hate saying that, but it's one of the only analogies I can even think of. But um, it, it was overall a good game. I enjoyed it a lot. And the it, it was just good overall it was definitely my number one i enjoyed the hell out of it so just to go over the my seven favorite games of last year uh cuphead star wars battlefront 2 Mega Man legacy collection 2 wolfenstein 2 horizon zero non uh super mario odyssey and legend of zelda breath of the wild so i know you guys came here for a mod magic 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 podcast so let's get into the top magic sets of 2017. Yay, finally, we're talking about magic. Um, where is my top man? Okay, hold on. Let me just get a swig of water here. All right. Top magic sets of 2017. So there were only... Um, oh, you know, I'm missing a set. Oh, oh yeah, there's a reason why I didn't make my list because I did not like it one bit. So I think there was actually seven sets that came out this year, including supplemental product like Commander, and I'm not counting Arch Enemy, that came out earlier this year. 
but like the commander and the master sets. So one set is missing from this list and it's because it's a disgrace to, to sets and you'll probably see which one it is. Um, coming in at number six is Ixalan. Excellent. Exactly. Exactly. However you say it. And, um, I only put, I put it that low because one, um, I only did sealed for it for the pre-release and I, it was okay. It, the, at least from the limited that I've played, it feels very on rails. It doesn't, it's not, it hasn't felt very fun. Um, it didn't really change standard at all, really. Um, probably the best thing that's come out of that set has been the Checklands being reprinted and Search for Escanta. Other than that, I just, it was really kind of meh for me. It was one of the first times in a while that the fall set was very meh. Okay, whatever. It, from like start to be start to finish, I was just not very excited about the set. I will say, the set has been one of my favorite storylines when it comes to Magic story, though. Um, I will say that has been very fun, and it's been very enjoyable writing for once. And um, I'll probably need to review that on one of my episodes here. Uh, coming in at number five is Modern Masters 2017. This was a Masters set done right, and. Not only did it reprint the Zendikar Fetchlands, it reprinted Liliana the Veil, Snapcaster Mage, um, Tarmogoyf. I mean, you name it, something that's widely played in modern, it got its reprint here. And it needed these reprints badly to drop down the prices of modern. So, it's um de- definitely a really good set. Loved it. Um, the draft, I didn't get to draft it because... Um, I just I just hate paying ten dollars a pack for you know a booster pack and then having to pay upwards of over thirty dollars to draft a set and it's it's just not fun. But um overall I felt like the set was pretty good. Uh it had some much needed reprints for it and it was it was worth it. Um coming in at number four is Aether Revolt. Aether Revolt saw the first shift in the pendulum towards answers that we were getting Uh, because before and you can go back and listen to my old episodes before Aether Revolt came out was Standard was in desperate need of answers and Aether Revolt was the beginning of that shift with Fatal Push and so on Uh, Aether Revolt saw you know saw Fatal Push as one of the most expensive actually it is the most expensive uncommon right now in standard and it also brought us walking ballista um god what the fuck else let me just pull it up here real quick let me go to tcg player because i for some reason i am having i'm drawing a blank in terms of what else aether revolt brought us that what that's popular Oh, Winding Constrictor. Duh. How could I forget that? Holy shit. Uh, For Green Black Constrictor. um, And Metallic Mimic Paradox Engine, which is a fun one. Um, You know, Disallow, Heart of Kirin, Baral, Glint Sleeve Siphoner. You know, all these kind of cards are played a lot right now in Standard. And, um, you know, I feel like overall it was... It was a very nice addition to Kaladesh, and it 
it made I, I did enjoy drafting it. I, I think I enjoyed drafting Aether Revolt more than just Triple Kaladesh, if I remember correctly. And uh, I mean, one of my guilty pleasures with drafting Aether Revolt was all the um was all the trains and vehicles. Like I think that's pretty much I, I'd always try to build a serious deck and then I'd see trains being passed to me and I'm like uh, I'm just gonna start drafting trains now. Oh my god, trains! Ah, and um, yeah, that's just my stupid geekiness coming out. But um, anyways, moving on here. Uh, after after Aether Revolt, uh, number three comes Hour of Devastation. Um, I did not draft Hour of Devastation though. I did play sealed. I did play a pre-release, and Hour of Devastation once again brought us some more answers that we were sorely needing in um, standard. If I remember correctly, our gestation gave us a braid, right? Pretty sure. Um, gave us the Scarab God, which, oh, yay, Scarab God. I love that card so much. Uh, it gave us Nicobolus, the new Nicobolus. I love that card, especially when I was playing Grixis Control. The Locust God, yay, he's so much fun in Commander, especially when you're playing against it. Um, Torment of Hailfire, one of my favorite rares of our Devastation. Yeah, it's not the greatest rare. But it's just such a fun card. Um, and even the story, the story was, I will admit, the Amonkhet story start off kind of slow. It's just more of a, what the fuck did Nicobolus do to this plane? And then when the gates of the afterlife opened up and, you know, the whole freaking demon came out and the gods were coming, killing everything. I mean, that's when things started getting exciting for me personally. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the set. Uh, yeah, a braid did come out in our devastation. So like I said, we were starting to see more answers when this set came out. So that, like I said, the pendulum shift was shifting or the pendulum was shifting over to answers more. Uh, so what came in at number two? You think it's Amonkhet? Wrong. It was Commander 2017. Uh, Commander 2017 was a tribal set with dragons, cats, vampires, and wizards. Um, I'm trying to figure out how my hand's going to look when I when I look at the camera here. So, um, love this set. I loved all the kitties. I loved all the dragons. Uh, the new dragon, the Ur-Dragon, he's now my dragon commander now for my deck. Um, I still haven't built a kitty deck yet. I'm still, I don't know. I, I've been focusing on other other EDH decks, but I am starting to plot a vampire deck now, at least, especially with all the vampires that come out in Rivals of Ixalan now. So, um, Commander 2017, even though there was only four decks this year instead of the usual five, it was a nice change of pace because I like the focus of Tribal, and Tribal is one of my favorite kind of decks to build in EDH, so this was kind of perfect for me. A lot of good Tribal cards were printed in it, and just a lot of fun cards were printed in it as well. So, definitely loved it. It was really fun, um, and it added some new flavor to Commander as a whole. Um, probably didn't add as much flavor as, say, the four-color decks did like last year, but... It's still a welcome addition. I, I enjoyed it. Um, coming in at number one, uh, if you've been, you know, sort of writing down what I've been putting down and what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Uh, number one is Amonkhet. Amonkhet, uh, I loved the Egyptian theme. Um, 
I I was I, I was liking the story of it. You know, they were trying to, you know, hey, we're gonna go after Nicobolus here and we're gonna kick his ass, but you know the Gatewatch is gonna lose. Um and, and they do lose. Spoilers, um but it was a really fun set. I did enjoy drafting it. I I enjoyed drafting the hell out of um Amonkhet. And um Amonkhet brought us such awesome cards as Hazaret, the Fervent. It brought us five new gods. As foretold, one of my favorite cards, especially in EDH. Uh, Ronus, Gideon, Anointed Procession, which is really fun in Tokens decks. And uh, Gloria Bringer, uh, one of my favorite cards in Standard right now. And um, yeah, so that has been my top magic sets of 2017. Just to reiterate again... It is Ixalan, Modern Masters 2017, Aether Revolt, Hour of Devastation, Commander 2017, and Amonkhet from, you know, top to bottom, or from bottom to top. All right, so now we are going to go talk about my personal top standard decks of 2017 here. Let me just take a swig of energy here. Now, the way I rated these was not exactly like you know pro pro decks or the meta decks even though a lot of these are meta decks um these were decks that i played that i personally played a lot of and um so coming in at number six and there's only six decks is teamer energy and i started playing this when um um um, Ixalan. Oh my God. I was drawing a blank. Like what, what was that set? Um, so I played this a lot during Ixalan and Teamer energy. I, I enjoyed the deck. It was fun. Well, fun being a relative word. It was very consistent. It felt strong. It was very strong, but my biggest complaint with this deck was it was this, it felt like the same game every single time it, it, didn't feel like it varied. I did play a more control version of Teamer, but in the end, I had to take it apart to play something a little bit more fun. Um, so that's number six for me, Teamer Energy. Uh, coming in at number five is Is It Control? And I started playing this um, pretty sure. I either played this when Aether Revolt came out or... Or Amonkhet. Let me just check real quick. No, it was Amonkhet. So yeah, I, I played Is It Control when Amonkhet first came out. And um, this was just my, my version of Is It Control. Probably the same as a lot of others. Was the only creatures were four Torrential Gear Hulks. I had a Jason Raveler of Secrets. And it was just counters and spot removal. Like no tomorrow. And I enjoyed the hell out of it because I love control and I like making people suffer while they play me. And um, it, it was just a control player's dream. And so that comes in at number five. Coming in at number four, let me pull up the deck here, is another control deck. But this was played, a, th I played this a lot more when Hour of Devastation came out. And that is Grixis Control. Ooh, I'm so original, I know. Uh, so it was pretty much the same kind of build as Is It, but I splashed in black. Um, instead of having to four torrential gear hulks, I went down to three and put in two Nicol Bolas God Pharaohs. And 
you know, it had fatal push in it, um, to the slaughter, uh, Doomfall, and you know, those sort of cards. And I gotta say, if Nicol Bolas was able to be resolved, there was a very high chance I was winning that game. And I loved the hell out of this deck. But it being a much slower version of Is It Control, it just did not last very long in my little local standard meta. So, but it was fun while I played it and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, so yeah, so that's Grixis Control coming in at number four. Number three, uh, I played this, I think, right, yeah, right as Almond Ket came out. So, oh, excuse me. I don't know what's going on with my sinuses here. Um, so when Almond Ket first came out, uh, during Aether Revolt, I was playing a lot of Jund energy at the time. Jund and green-black energy. I would switch off back and forth every week. And I was getting pretty bored of energy. So I took apart the decks and I was wanting to, you know, build something different because, you know, you, you get bored of playing the same decks over and over again, even, even if you're slightly changing them. Um, so I decided to build Fling a Tog in standard, it being with um, Ravenous Intruder and then, you know, Fling was reprinted in Amonkhet. So I'm like, you know, why, why don't I build Fling a Tog? It did absolutely terrible every time I played it, but it was I had so much fun doing it, though. And I was able to fling a ta- or fling ravenous truder at people. So hey, win-win for me. Um, so that has definitely been one of my more favorite decks. You know, I'm almost tempted to revisit it now to see if I can make it any better. Probably not, but it was a lot of fun anyway. Um, so that goes on to the next deck that I just talked about, and that's Green Black Energy, which I played during Aether Revolt. Uh, with green black energy, it had whining constrictor, noose constrictor. Um, oh my god, it had noose constrictor. I'm looking at my old deck list here. Um, oh n- <coughs> no, no, no! This isn't the deck. This isn't the deck because this is um that was my snakes deck. Um, hold on, no, no, no. I played this during um I played green black during almond cat because uh, it has whining constrictor, walking ballista. Verdius Gearhulk, Tireless Tracker, Rishgar, Long Tusk Cub, and all those. Um, yeah, I was playing that during Amonkhet. And really powerful deck, but it felt very linear to just like Team or Energy later on in the stand in standard meta. Was it was just felt like a very linear deck, and I got bored of it, honestly. And it it, it felt I, I, that's the best way I can describe it. it just felt very linear. Um, so going on to number one, my personal number one standard deck of 2017 is... I, I, I guess I have kind of two names for this deck. One being Jund Energy and Jund Monsters. Uh, both, both are kind of the same. It was just I was playing... I was originally, I started playing Jund Energy at Aether Revolt, rebuilt it again with Omnicat with Glorybringer coming out, and then I played it again when Hour of Devastation came out because it had some better, um, you know, spells like a braid that I could use in, in the deck. So Jund Energy was basically having 28 creatures, 21 lands, and, you know, a tune with Aethers, um, 
And, you know, it had Glorybringer, Glint Sleeve, Bristling Hydra, Rudeus Gearhawk, Walking Ballista, Whining Constrictor. And it was just a really fun deck because at the time, especially in my shop, everybody was playing Green Black or some version of Control. So being able to play Jund Energy, you know, have sneak in those Glorybringers and sneak in more red like that was definitely a welcome change for me personally. And um, it was just I had a lot of fun with the deck and it 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 has become my favorite deck of last year especially and that's mainly due to glorybringer glorybringer is one of my favorite cards of um last year so let's reiterate what my favorite decks were of last year starting at number 6 teamer energy is it control grixis control fling a tog green black energy and jund energy so those were the top standard decks of 2017. I don't know if next year I want to do like top modern decks of 2017 or top legacy decks. Uh, those two formats, while they do change in the meta, uh, legacy less so, but uh, modern can change the meta. Um, I'm just, even though I do follow the formats, I'm just... I'm more interested in talking about the top standard decks because th th that's always going to be different throughout the year because there's always going to be, you know, a deck that's going to be really good for three months. And then when the new set comes out, that deck's going to be really good and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with standard decks even for the end of this year for 2018. So let's get on to the last part of the show here. And that is the top magic cards of this year um i'm gonna change uh oh uh oh oh no oh no people have seen hold on let me just pull it up here um people may have just seen my list here <laughs> um okay all right so i think i can do this yeah let me do this okay so let me bring up the screen here. So if you if you're watching the podcast, um, you'll see the, a screen here of showing the cards. I'll just show this the cards because I want to talk about what each one does. Um, hold on one second. I just don't want people to see the list in my super secret list that I've come up with. Um. So, okay. All right, we'll move it back here. All right, so coming in at number 10 for top magic cards of 2017. This is my list here. And this coming in at number 10 is Angel of Condemnation. Two colorless, two white, angel, flying, vigilance, 3-3. Three, three. Um, and the only reason I put this card at number 10 is because it won me pre-release of Hour of Devastation. And every single time this card came out and it was not killed or countered immediately there was a very high chance I was winning the game and it, I, I love this card. And even though it's not a good standard card, it's still, it holds a special place in my heart and probably always will for the rest of time. So that is number 10. Number nine is torment of hailfire torment of hailfire being X black, black repeat the following process X times sorcery. Uh, each opponent loses three life unless that player sacks a non-land permanent or discards a card. And while it's not a very good constructed card right now, it is a very fun card 
right now. And, <laughs> I mean, I love playing this bad boy in EDH and say I have a lot of mana I can pump into it. Oh, look, everybody's you know, either going to sack or discard cards or lose three life. You know, hey, your choice. Dealer's choice, pretty much. So, definitely one of my favorite cards of last year. Um, another card from last year coming in at number eight is a braid one in a red instant choose one a braid deals three damage to dark creature or destroy target artifact um so this is more talking about the swift and the pendulum that i was talking about earlier where we're starting to see more answers this is definitely a really good answer especially with artifacts being so prevalent still in standard i mean they're not actually they're not as prevalent now i mean there's still a lot of artifact cards because we just had an artifact set last year or actually two years ago now shit oh my god it's gonna be almost two years oh god i feel like kaladesh literally just came out but it didn't it's already been over a year um so this is still a really good answer for those pesky artifacts and um I really hope we see a reprint of this in future standards because it's still a really good card. I mean, I'd rather have Lightning Bolt, but I, this is still pretty good. Um, coming in at number seven is Disallow. Uh, probably probably the best counter spell we have right now in standard. One and two blue instant counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Mana abilities can't be targeted. So... Like I said, there's a reason why this card is still like five, six bucks because it's really good. And um, it, it just with it being able to counter even abilities, activated or triggered abilities, just makes it that much better. Uh, that's why it comes in at number seven. Uh, coming in at number six, Nicobolus God Pharaoh, uh, the Grixis Planeswalker. And. I love reading this guy's abilities because it's just so much fun. Um, he comes in with seven loyalty, his plus two target opponent exiles cards from the top of his or her library until he or she exiles a non-land card. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Love it. Uh, plus one, each opponent exiles two cards from his or her hand. I love how it's just, no, you're not going to discard. You're going to exile them. All right. They're going away from existence. Uh, negative four, Nicol Bolas deals seven damage to target opponent or creature an opponent controls. Love it. Especially if you have a pesky creature you need to quickly get rid of after this gets resolved. Negative uh, 12, exile each non-land permanent your opponent's control. Awesome board wipe. Awesome board wipe. Even though that's, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about Nicol Bolas. Just fucking love it way better than the other nicobolus look at just regular nicobolus um no not not the creature but the regular planeswalker oh destroy a target non-creature permanent eh, boring gain control a target creature eh, boring and yeah even nicobolus the deceiver the planeswalker deck that from the intro deck is still pretty good i i, I don't know i i still enjoy it um so yeah nicobolus god pharaoh coming number six Number five, you think this would have been a little bit higher, but I, I, I do love my dragon cards. Uh, Glorybringer coming in at number five, three and two red flying haste, four, four. And when you exert Glorybringer, uh, it deals four damage to target non-dragon creature and opponent controls. Uh, what's there to say? I, it, I, don't, I don't like it as much as Thunderbreak Regent, but for standard right now, probably one of my favorite creatures in standard. Um... 
So coming in at number four, and it's only coming in at number four because it broke standard. I mean, yeah, it, it pretty much broke standard. That's Felidar Guardian. And I put it in there because, God, Wizards, how could you do, how, how, how did you miss this? Uh, wizards, Wizards, Wizards. Um, so Felidar Guardian, if you don't remember, broke standard for a couple months when it was printed. And it, it did get emergency banned. I will give them that. But basically, it was Splinter Twin and Standard. And, yeah, if you're not familiar with what Felidar Guardian did, when it enters the battlefield, you may exile another target permanent you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So when you played this card, you'd play this card with a little-known planeswalker called Sahili Ray, which Sahili Ray can create a token that's a copy of create a token that's a copy of target artifact or creature you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other type. So basically what would happen is you'd have Sahili Ray out first, and then in turn four you'd play Felidar Guardian, and then Sahili Ray would target Felidar Guardian creating a token of it, then that token would flash, would flicker Sahili Ray back out and in, and then create a token, and that token does have haste, and then rinse and repeat, and you win, pretty much. Um, so I just put it in there because mm, it it's a pretty trolly card. And I can't believe Wizards missed it. But anyways, so moving on to number three, Whining Constrictor. Uh, snakes on a plane right there with I love counters. I love tokens. I love tokens and counters. So Whining Constrictor basically allows you to add an extra counter every time a counter was put on a creature. And same with energy. If you gain a counter, basically an energy counter, you get another counter of that. So imagine having four of these bad boys out. And, oh, look, you get four extra counters on just, you know, one creature or one energy. So love it. Uh, then coming in at number two is good old Walking Ballista. I mean, I guess technically, it, technically Walking Ballista is better than Hangerback Walker. Um, I did enjoy Hangerback Walker more in terms of gameplay, but Walking Ballista, this card is a bitch. Whether you're playing, whether you're playing the Walking Ballista or being or having a Walking Walking Ballista played against you, this card sucks. I mean, I, I don't mean sucks and it's really bad and no one should play it. It's just, it's like. Damn, once he's out there and alive and, you know, he's got a bunch of counters on, it's just sort of like, ping, pip, 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 ping, I'm going to kill all your creatures, and boom, you're done. Uh, there's a reason why it made number two, because it's still really freaking good. Um, coming in at number one. Now, this card probably shouldn't really surprise a lot of people, but this card, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this card really brought the pendulum of answers versus threats it was the beginning of it and that is fatal push coming at number one it's the one black instant destroy target creature of as converted mana cost two or less and if you trigger revolt you can destroy that creature of as converted mana cost four or less instead if a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn so so it was sort of the beginning of the end for better answers being printed in standard and uh, let me move it over here. So that has been my top 10 cards for 
2017. Just go over it again. It, number 10, uh, Angel of Common Condemnation, Torment of Hailfire, Abraid, Disallow, Nicobolus God Pharaoh, Glorybringer, Felidar Guardian, Winding Constrictor, Walking Ballista, and Fatal Push. <sighs> All right. So, we got one small little thing, and then we're going to end it for tonight. Uh, some of my hopes for 2018, in terms of Magic the Gathering, that is. Uh, coming in at number three, not being afraid to print powerful cards in standard and shake things up. And I don't necessarily mean we need more overpowered, broken cards, but... Why not? Let, let's get Birds of Paradise back in standard. Let's get Lightning Bolt back. You know, wait until Kaladesh rotates out and let's get Lightning Bolt. I mean, ooh, you know, what 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 a thing to get. I mean, I know we have Lightning Strike and it's, I'm glad Lightning Strike got reprinted in Ixalan. But why, why not? Let's see Path to Exile. Let's see. um, uh, and, and a lot of these powerful cards I'm thinking of are instants and sorceries. But let, let's let's go back to good old fashioned magic where things were powerful and stupid. Um, because these creatures, these spells on a stick that are basically creatures like spell Queller, reflector mage, um, glory bringer. It's, it's getting kind of old. I, I, I want to see spells themselves become more powerful. And I, I, I kind of hope we see, start to see some of that in 2018. Um, uh, with the return of core sets, I really hope seeing those powerful cards is going to shake things up. Number two is, is that return of core sets, and I really hope we continue core sets as well, too, because we kind of need them. We need those cards that are always going to be in standard, or not always, but at least a set of cards that are going to be your core for um, standard, such as your answer cards that we're always going to need. Um and then number one being Magic Arena. I I wish I could talk more about it, even though I'm in the closed beta. It's um I'm can't wait to talk more about it when they, you know, do the open beta and people are allowed to talk about it again. And I'm super excited about it. I really hope it does well. Um as I play it more, I really don't see Magic Online going away like I hoped it would even though that thing needs to go away. Um, I think there is going to be a divide in the player base. There's going to be the Magic Online base and the Magic Arena base. And that's not a bad thing, I guess, because, you know, you'll they'll make money either way from both bases. And I just hope I, I it really needs to be the Hearthstone killer, even though it's not going to kill Hearthstone. But it needs to be as good, if not better, than Hearthstone in order for Magic the Gathering as a whole to continue to survive um, in the long run. So that about wraps it up tonight. I want to thank everybody for listening, watching, if you watched. And um, yeah, you can find Magic with Zuby. If you notice, if you're watching it, you notice I have like these, I'm pointing at the screen like you can see it. Um, I have these new little things up on my screen, like where you can find my Twitter, Facebook, email, and even my Patreon. And um, so you can find my Twitter at Magic with Zuby, uh, Facebook dot, and on Facebook with Facebook.com slash Magic with Zuby. 
and we you can email me at mtgzb at gmail.com and you can check out my patreon at patreon.com slash magic with zuby and um check out some of the rewards we've got there uh magic with zuby is on itunes google play stitcher and tune in radio and wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts and thank you for watching and listening tonight everybody uh really hope you enjoyed it and thank you for listening to me ramble basically all right have a good night